Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Front Page Dub, and hopefully a special episode today. We are, I'd say we're going to be doing an extended episode, but every time me and Matt are on the mic, it turns into an extended episode anyway. But today, we are going to do a bit of a mid-season review. We have officially passed halfway point of the dub, so we will be going through how we think each team are faring. And as you probably heard, the guys on Monday, actually, so yesterday, they did had a grade for each team from A to E. So we will be doing that too for the dub. I am Cody Ojeda. I am joined by Matt, as I said before. Matt Olsen, how are you doing today? Yeah, it's, it's a good point about us not being able to shut up. I mean, we, we tried to do it. We tried to do a mini pod without the guidance of the Donny Christian Marchetti himself. And uh, we nearly went, what, 40 minutes on a on a mini pod? So after a bit of editing, it went, it, we got it down to 40 minutes. <laughs> it was a lot longer right. before that. It, it, I'm pretty right, sure I, the, the uncut version was nearly at like 50, so 50, 50, like six or 58 or something. So 58 yeah. minutes. Yeah, look, um, we can, bit, we can a bit talk. of an insight into how. We work here. Sometimes we do need to cut things out. We do want to give you guys the best experience with the mini and give you an actual mini experience. If we're going for an hour, that is not mini at all. So anyway, we're here to talk about the dub. Um, the men's we've already slept, we've kind of gone through on another show. This is front page dub, though. We are going through the mid-season dub. Um, as the guys did on Monday, they started bottom to top. We are going to do the same thing, which means our starting point is... The weekend's uh, surprise package, actually, the Wellington Phoenix. I just, I just want to touch on that for a second because this is a side that we've been quite critical of this season. And for good reason, too, I guess. I mean, for I understand their values as a club and what they want to prioritize. But the reality was results were nowhere near what you probably should be expecting from a side that would want to be competitive at the end of the day. They are... New Zealand's only professional women's team. They're rep- they're basically representing New Zealand women's football. And up until Sunday, they weren't exactly doing great. But it's a weird case of maybe one result is kind of changing your whole perception on a football team, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I, I, like for me, it, it would have been... I don't know how much you, you want to touch on the game specifically, but like... For me, you know, I I would have obviously had to say almost by default that they were an E without without particular grade. And I'll just tell you off the bat, I'm not going to pick a, an E for anyone. I'm I'm going a D up, um, simply because of that result. And you know, you look at you look at who was at the heart of, of such a good performance um, for the Knicks on the day. I mean, five goals. Who saw them scoring five goals? You know, but um, you had the likes of of obviously. I mean, Lily Alfeld was was missing, but Paige Satchel. A really experienced New Zealand international, uh, Grace Wineski, who who you know, she she played in that. I think she played in uh, the World Cup in, in Costa Rica. I think. Yeah, she was there. Alyssa Winnan was there too. Although Alyssa Winnan's been out for a little while. She has. Well, that's yeah, essentially okay. what this side was last season. There was a lot of players getting prepared for that under twenties Women's World Cup. Right. Exactly. And it's still um, they still got that kind of youth policy where they really want to bring those younger players through. Obviously Millie Clegg's one of those ones coming through now that's really shining a light. Who was also in the under twenties Women's World Cup. But it's honestly well that result aside, their season up until this point, there were some games where you could tell they were very, very much off the pace and then some games and even some moments in games where they look like they are capable of stepping up to anyone. The right. 
Melbourne Victory game probably comes to mind most likely. It's probably their best performance aside from the Canberra match that just passed because as much as they didn't really get the chance to go forward that much, the way how solid they were defensively and being able to hold out a side like Melbourne Victory and even push forward and create some chances of their own, it's not something that we've really seen from the Wellington Phoenix side this season. And I think one point of difference that you can make from this side to last season where they were probably a little bit more exciting to watch last season under Gemma Lewis, particularly because they d- tried to play on the front foot a little bit more. I feel like I feel like this season they've kind of regressed a little, not regressed, uh, probably come back into their shell a little bit. They're a bit more conservative when they play. And when they have the ball, they're probably trying to push forward a little bit quicker, maybe play a bit more on a counter-attacking style of football. But it's probably taken a bit of time for them to actually get used to that change under Nat Lawrence where Sunday's game was probably the best example of everything kind of coming to fruition where now suddenly, even with, what was it, 44 46% possession, they were able to create more chances than Canberra and a lot more chances than Canberra and score five goals on top of it. Yes. Yeah, so, so, I mean, Gemma, uh, Gemma, Gemma Lewis was obviously and, and is obviously a better manager uh, than Nat Lawrence, which, you know, makes this this result, I it guess. It can't be a hot take, surely. No, no, no. I don't, I don't believe that it is in, in any stretch of the word, but... I actually hadn't finished my initial conversation and then you took over, which I, I didn't mind. But what I was going to say was, you know, the likes of Satchel, uh, Wisniewski, uh, you know, Be- uh, Betsy Hassett as well, who obviously I think she scored two goals or was it a hat-trick? I think it was two. Yeah, two. But, but the, the point that I was making was that the performance was off the back of, of experience and experience in important places for a lot of these players as individuals. Yeah, of course. And I think there's one thing that I think we're starting to see is really holding this well into Phoenix side back. You've got someone like Ava Pritchard up front who I think is versatile enough. She can play kind of anywhere across think, the front line. I even think, if she's playing uh, the Knicks fans that I've spoken to, just, just on Ava, the Knicks fans that I've spoken to, I feel like that there's a pretty high ceiling for her, but a lot of the performances she's been putting in have been quite quite bad and, and, and is viewed quite negatively. So I don't know. I mean, like for me as an outsider, I look at it and I think Ava Pritchard's quite a solid player, but I definitely see where a lot of the complaints are coming from because I think there's probably a lot more expected um, as basically an out-and-out number nine to really produce for the team. And, and maybe the argument there is that she doesn't. Someone like Betsy Hassett, who oh, I think she's, what, 34, is is having to be relied on with all of her experience, both for the national team, both in these types of setups, where she's she's sort of having to, having to lift the team a bit more. And if I'm not mistaken, she's not even played that much for them. It's only like a seventh or eighth game or something. Do you mean um, Betsy or Ava? Betsy, yeah. I think she might have been in and out of squad a little bit. Obviously, she's right. got a New Zealand so, so, commitments to worry exactly, about yeah. saying she, that. No, she does. And she's obviously played elsewhere in Europe. But the, the point that I'm making is you basically want Ava Pritchard to be a young Betsy Hassett, and the comparison doesn't work. And and I think in, in that regard, that's where a lot of fans get disillusioned with it. But I don't actually mind Ava Pritchard as a player that much. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, like, I look at this side, and I think, obviously, um, finishing chances is what's been holding them back this season so far. Before Sunday, they scored three goals in, what was it, eight games. That's not a return you're going to have if you want to be competing for finals. I'd love to see how this side would go if they had an out-and-out striker, maybe that eight to ten goals a season type of player. I don't feel like you're going to get that out of Eva Pritchard at this stage of her career. I 100% agree with you. Her ceiling is high. We've spoken about her. um, uh, One of our contributors, Jack Tools, definitely um, put her in one of our Youth in Focus reports. So th- there's talent clearly there. And even if you were to bring in a striker, that was going to help with the goal return. 
Ava's still someone that can kind of push out wide as well. So it wouldn't even be hindrance to her to have someone like that to lean on. And it'd probably help having someone there, almost a tutor or just someone. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's not, to make a comparison to the men's, it's not like an Adam Taggart type situation where you have that experience number nine and they completely re, like regenerate the momentum of the team. I just don't think it's that that type of impact. Um, if they were to get someone more experienced, and obviously, you know, whether they were Kiwi, Australian, Icelandic, you know, who, who cares? But it's not a case of you you fix the attacking wise and this team becomes good. Let, let's let's just make sure that, that we're not painting that picture. I'm not more not... talking about this season. I'm talking about more in the future, though. I yeah, think this season, yeah, like sure. you're gonna, you've got they've got their side for this season. I don't see them making any changes. I'm just sure, saying, but, but, yeah, just I guess more it's hypothetical. Hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it's hard because because at the end of the day, they are both Kiwi strikers, one with a lot of experience and one that, with a lot of promise. So it's hard to kind of dethrone that dynamic. But to to the point, they have issues further down the pitch anyway. So it's it's not like they have a really solid midfield and a number nine that can't finish. That's both again not not the full picture with Ava Pritchard, and it's also not entirely true of the midfield. That being said. You know, players like uh, you know, I don't know if I'm pronouncing your name right, but but Grace obviously uh, Wineski and and um, the likes of Paige Satchel as well. I mean, they they can obviously that they, they they can do a lot, and I think as individuals they're good players, but something doesn't click in the system, and I think that that just fundamentally comes down to what the Phoenix are trying to do with their team, and and unfortunately they just uh, they're trying to blend a team that that doesn't work because they're so focused on youth development, but also focused on making sure they bring a lot of experienced Kiwis into the fold, almost for the sake of it, and not on a tactical basis. I feel, but maybe that's not the full picture. Um, the one thing that we do know is that this team just doesn't win that often, and for them to score five goals in a game and win in the fashion that they did, I don't know if it says more about them or more about their opponent, who we'll be touching on later, but. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the one thing that you can say is last time we did one of these shows, Cody, it was the disaster pod, who's worse, the Phoenix or the Wanderers. And FPF curse style, they've both turned it on. They've both shown that they can actually have a massive upside in the time since. So, yeah, I'm not, not sure what to, what to fully make of that. But, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, again, and I hate to say this because it is a bit of a cliche, but the only way is up. And at least we've actually seen signs of that now with this Phoenix team. Yeah, 100%. That result on the weekend, it will breathe, breathe life into their season as well. I think a result like that can really turn things around. And you look at the next couple of games, it is winnable games. The next game is against Brisbane. Away from home will be tough. But look, if they're going to play like the way they did against Canberra, they, that people would do well to stop them. I'd probably go with um, you as well. I'd say a D. That one result probably has turned things around for me a little bit. I think the main thing there is we finally saw just that little bit of promise, that little bit of extra spark that they need in their side to actually drive them forward a little bit. Um, Michaela Foster, I think someone's but that's been underrated, uh, very reliable at left back, someone that probably doesn't deserve a bit more credit than what she does get. And if you're talking about at the back as well, Kay Taylor coming back into the side, Lily Alfeld will eventually as well. Or well, they're saying that Brent Edwards, I think, has improved over the um, course of the season. Um, unless you have that's what she's there to do, though, right? Like, Elfeld is clearly the number one and will be. She's the team captain, for goodness sake. But Edwards has stepped up and done probably what she's needed to do. Like, you can't really ask a bit more of her. Um, I, but I think, you know, for her, it's more about the learning and development, right? So it's a, it's a tough in that respect. <laughs> because even if she performs really, really well, she's obviously getting dethroned. So you've yeah, just look when you got to keep it like Alfred in front of you. I think it's got it's going to come with the territory a little bit, and it does suck. But you know what? Look, the fact is, 
the experience that she's gotten over the last few games, she's a better. She's going to be a better player for it, and it's enough player at her career, uh, at her stage of her career. She you got to remember she was also that under twenties women's World Cup too. So she's only very young. It's a good chance for her to really just build up some experience playing top flight football. It's it's only an advantage to getting an opportunity like that. And it does suck that she's only gotten that advantage because of Lily Alfeld's injury. But anyway, we'll leave the Phoenix there. Uh, we'll move on to probably one of the... This is actually one of the ones that I was looking forward to. Newcastle Jets. Um, nine games, two wins, one draw, six losses. They've scored 15 goals. So no problems on one side of the pitch, but the worst defensive record in the competition by a lot. And it's getting kind of ugly. I've got some stats here that were sent to me by a good friend of mine at Newcastle Jets Fan News. Under Ash Wilson, this is a two-and-a-half-year thing, but we'll narrow down once we start the discussion on this season, of course. Two-and-a-half years under Ash Wilson. 33 games, three draws, 24 losses. They've just won six times. 41 goals for, uh, goals against 75. 21 points in that time. Um, excuse the fact that I've just dropped my pen, but what I was going to say on this was, you know, I think the problem with Newcastle is that when they have their bad days, they can have very, very bad days. You know what I mean? Like I, I look at the team and it's funny. I look at the likes of Tegan and Allen. I look at the likes of Tara Andrews. I look at Tessa Tamplin. I think like when you guys have good days, you're not a bad football team, but you just you just can't turn that on enough. And I don't want to use the word consistency because it's not a consistency thing. The wins are very rare. But I still think there's room there to maybe be a bit better and have a bit of a higher ceiling. Um and I and I just wonder how much sort of I I I personally don't know on the day to day what he what he does. Um, but the likes of sort of Gary Van Egmond moving to more of a sort of youth development for a lot of people in that northern New South Wales region, why he wouldn't try to to be a bit more involved with the women's program in terms of their development? Because I know I, I'm pretty sure he has managed the the women's department before, and he's and he's someone that has an eye for talent that's unparalleled, really. Um, but I just want to know, like, what is the, the 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 process for developing a lot of talent? Because it seems to me that even the really good players that have played for Newcastle in the past, a lot of them have been more sort of Sydney-based players anyway. Um, I'm pretty sure Courtney Vine got to start at Newcastle, if I'm not wrong. So oh, look, I can't remember off the top of my head there. But the, you're talking about youth development as well. Newcastle yeah. Jets are the only uh, A-League New South Wales-based team to actually have an NPL system. I've got the Emerging Jets where they do have teams in all age groups from under 14s to the NPL first grade side. Uh, the NPL first grade side this season in the NPL Women's New South Wales was actually quite poor, though. But um, you do get talent coming through. Kirsty Fenton's probably the best example of it, but even she's parted ways after one season playing for Newcastle's first team. So, yeah, and, and I think that, look, it's obviously in terms of the, the talent and the football talent in particular, it's a really, really rich reason. But I can't remember a time they've ever had a lot of local girls in there who have turned it on and been really good. And I'm just, that's just an honest assessment of things. Um, but as I say, like they have individuals who can turn it on and be pretty good. Like I've, I've seen Tara Andrews put in one of the all-time great performances. I've seen Tessa Tamplin score some great goals. I've seen Tegan Allen obviously boss it, you know, but I just... I don't, I don't know if, if all of that together in the short term anyway, because I know I'm talking bigger picture, particularly on the youth development, but 
I just, I just don't know where, where they can kind of go from here, given that they are historically and in the short term stuck stuck in a bit of a rut with with nowhere to go. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's 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 a really intriguing case and one that that needs a bit of a deep dive. I think Cody. Oh, look, it's one that we'll probably do a deep dive on eventually because now the Wellington Phoenix is starting to turn the corner, Wanderers starting to turn the corner. This is a side I look at and go, they offer nothing. If you ask me before the season, this is my tip for the wooden spoon in reality. And from what I've seen this season, they're lucky that Wellington Phoenix haven't been able to find a bit of form because I don't, I, I can't say I enjoy watching them. No, There's... but just hold on, just hold on, hold on. I completely understand the point you're making, but to say they offer nothing, come on. There, there are some good players in this team. There are. There's a, there's a couple of good players, but my issue is, is that when they're on a football field, there's no, there's nothing that actually shows that they're going to, that they're capable of winning games on a consistent basis. You look at their results. The last win they had was against Adelaide United. It took until, what was it? Probably just over 60 minutes before then for them to make a breakthrough. They were playing at home. They were against the Adelaide side that was out of form and, haven't looked like scoring many goals this season because I don't know what's going on with them, but there, that's something we're going to touch on later. But the reality is, a lot they scored 15 goals this season. A lot of those goals have come when they were already down by two or three. Or at least, there's very, very few times this season where they have scored and gone ahead. The, the, the two times that I can think of off the top of my head, they've actually won those games. Even the Perth game where they drew two all, they came back from behind twice. There's the Melbourne victory game where they scored two goals. They lost 5-2. And a lot of those goals came when they were already 5-0 um, down pretty much. Or 4-0 down. can't remember off the top of my head. But those goals that they're getting in games where they're getting romped, that's making them look like a better attacking team than what they are, I think. And yeah, I if I've got to be honest, this is probably the one team I look at in the dub where there's probably grounds for a coach to be removed. Yep. I yep. I and and I just, again... It's always tough because because the, we we don't always have the resources in in the female department. But I just wonder, you know, because because if you're the manager of an A League club, right, it's not completely out of place for you to be in touch with the development and the NPL and really get the full picture and get all the resources at your disposal and, and have the money. Um, which and where and when I say that, I mean we're obviously talking about very limited resources, but you have the full scope of them because. And again, you know, the, the the sort of 13 member clubs that we have are well within their right to to view it this way, really. But the women's team, because of sort of a, a lack of profits here and there, right, uh, they they are sort of seen as the, the, the second team um, within within said football club, right? And I think it's, in Newcastle's case, it's very obvious to me that they've never wanted to prioritise the women's program with the Jets and they've never wanted to make them a very important cog in the wheel in the day-to-day running of the football club. And that's why for, and Wanderers are exactly the same and, and it needs to be addressed. There's a reason why these clubs always suck. Just, just to, to just to be a bit brutally honest, there's, there's a reason why that is. And it's because they just, there's not, they don't, the clubs themselves don't really see the value in making the team a behemoth going forward to the future. And what I'm wondering is there's a lot of obviously really historically important football clubs and there's a lot of talent running around regardless of gender. There's a lot of talent running around in that region. Why couldn't they do a Western United thing where they basically pick a club at random, 
as Western United's even called United, and said, the players you're producing, you're going to be at the very heart of who we are. I reckon that would actually be a better strategy going forward than to pretend that there's some club that unites the region. Because they've never, they've, I don't really think they've ever developed elite talent going back years now. Not and I think consistently. That, well, because yeah, you've got players like Van Exxon exactly. that have come through the region as well. But the reason why they probably haven't done that in the new NPL New South Wales is because they do have their own NPL New South Wales team in the Emerging Jets. But you did mention the Wanderers. I'd say that as a good segue. But before we do, if you're going to give them a grading, honestly, I'm giving them an E. I, I really don't like... If it, if it weren't for the amount of goals that scored this season, I'd be going as far as an F. But I, again, I just... I like basing this off sort of the individuals within the team just because, I, again, I've seen a few of these girls in this team turn it on and arguably show that they can be elite talent sometimes. The problem is they don't do it frequently enough, and that is the reason why this team more often than not loses by big margins uh, than they do score score goals. Um <laughs> can I can I can I give them an E? No. No, I can't because I've I've given Wellington the benefit of the doubt and I've given them a D. And I'm going to give the Newcastle Jets the benefit of the doubt because again, it's their their sort of um bottom, I guess the opposite of a ceiling would be the floor. Their floor is uh it's not anywhere near as bad as what we've seen from from the Knicks and the Wanderers. So, so honestly, yeah, look, you're you're a lot nicer than me in that regard. Yeah. Look, we will move oh, on to just 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 on that, Cody. Um, if you want to bring, because we sort of decided informally halfway through our other podcast, if you wanted to bring sort of the D plus D minus to make it a bit more nuanced, you're more than welcome to do that, and it it help it probably helps with Newcastle to be giving them more of a D minus than anything. Yeah, no, I'm going with E. I, I, honestly, I, I've got a bold prediction here. I do reckon by the time the season ends, they'll be back at the bottom of the ladder. Yes, I know it's a hot take, but I'm going with it. And what we're going with is moving on to the Wanderers because this is a side that we have spoken about on this podcast before quite extensively. We did um dedicate a whole segment on one episode to them and how bad they were. And since then, four games, two wins, one draw and one loss. Um, no, the dude, there was another draw in there to Wellington. I forgot that game was before, but their last four games against all three Melbourne sides, Melbourne City twice, they did beat Melbourne City once, they beat Western United, and that's the only time Western United have dropped points this season and had a draw with Melbourne Victory. And where the hell did this come from? Because to me, this has come out of nowhere. They, Serena Bolden came in just after we had that podcast. I think it was announced while we were recording as well, which is an absolute stitch up. Thank you to whoever runs the social media at the Wanderers. You've really made us look stupid. But since she's come in, she's only scored the one goal, but she does offer a new focal point to the side they didn't have before. And we have touched on it briefly where she has made a positive impact on the side, but mm. they do look... I, I don't think we can describe how much better they look for it, as much as it probably is too little too late to try and push into the top four. Yep. It, they definitely are setting up a platform to possibly next season really build on it and push further than where they are now. This is such a funny one, isn't it? Um, it, it is. It, it really is. I not be too far removed from saying Serena Bolden is the only reason we view this team as good now. Uh, well, well, hold on, hold on. We, we don't view them as good. We just uh, view their improvement as good, right? I, and... I'd say... She ties the team together well. They're still good players, and we've spoken about the fact that there are good well, yeah, players in this of course, side. Of course, but it, it's that missing link that we spoke about, and I think can it's I, also proof that ask... maybe the club does care a little bit more than what we suggested. Yeah, 
well, well, probably we've 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 been exposed in that regard. But because I look at I look at people like Amy Harrison, you know, Sheridan Gallagher, Steinmetz, like it's like quality. you say, it's it, they're good players. But it's the exact same as the points I've made with the likes of Tessa Tamplin and Tara Andrews at the Jets. So what I would like you to do at this point is please, without telling me the grade or anything, I mean, you can you can obviously start with that if you like. But what makes Newcastle on a fundamental level so much worse than the Wanderers? See, the players that you just named for Newcastle and the players you named for Wanderers, I think the Wanderers players are much better. I really like the likes of Sheridan Gallagher, um, Alexio, Alexio Posalakis, uh, who was there, Claire Hunt, fantastic centre-back, someone who maybe she does get a good run of form, could even push for Matildas later on in her career. Um, uh, Cassettes, uh in the middle of the park, I think she's absolutely fantastic. There's a lot more quality to build on in that side. I think... If they can really get a string of performances together, they they could even push for top six. Unfortunately, in the dub, that doesn't really mean much. But they have proven that there is a lot more to build on in that side. And the difference between them and the Jets, the Jets, as the season's gone on, they've slowly gotten worse. The Wanderers, we're starting to see build up into what their potential actually can be. And that's where I... Th- it's the same as Wellington. That's why I gave Wellington a D. And that's why I give the Wanderers as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, again, I can't, I can't give them an E because we've just seen them beaten, uh, beaten. Good English. We've just seen them defeat, uh, basically the the indestructible force that is this Western United team, right? As a result of that, um, they can't, they can't get an E. They just simply can't. So yeah, I agree. It is, it is a D. Um, I'm not going to put it in D minus territory because I think again they've, they've improved enough. But I just, I, you can excuse me for having trust issues with the fact that a few players and some good form and, and admittedly two of the greatest upsets actually in dub history. I just, where I'm at with this is basically I'm just going to reserve judgment on saying that the team are going to go up and that they're going to have forward momentum simply because it's, it's a complete blatant hypocrisy of what I've said, not even what, two weeks ago. <laughs> and it's also just like, how can how can you say that with a straight face? How can you say, oh well, this this team, that's it. They're they're going to be they're going to finish the season in fifth, sixth. Like, come uh, on. I was. I'm not saying that's a given. I'm saying they can. No, but 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 Cody, people are already going that far. There was a post that Keep Up put up, and it was like, yeah, why not? They can make the top four. Why not? It's like I'll get on the top four later because I've got some opinions about that. But <laughs> you look at the Wanderers. Their next game actually is against the Jets. So we could look really stupid yeah, by the time Saturday comes both, both around. The Wanderers, I'll say this: both both the Wanderers women and the Wanderers men have a really big Judgment Day coming up because on Saturday we have that Mariners Wanderers game in the men's, and the Wanderers are there to prove their supremacy, try and get second in A League men, A League women. It's exactly the same thing. Can we prove our supremacy over a side like Newcastle and push ourselves away from this rut? So yeah, very very interesting period coming up for that particular club. Yeah, look, I'd go for a D as well. And in all honesty, I think that game. Uh, it's not necessarily important from a table point of view because I don't think they're in the finals race anymore. But I think just for a point of view for the club to show that, yeah, we're serious about our women's program and that this team is serious about being competitive. If they want people to actually believe that, then they need to win this game. And I think they need to win it very convincingly. I'm not talking scraping a win by one or two. I mean, putting out a dominating and comprehensive performance. Um, We'll move on to someone that you're very, very familiar with, the Perth Glory, who I actually do, don't mind this season. Um, Can you elaborate? 
I, I, look, I actually think there's, I like um, Alex Apakis as a coach. There's a lot of players there to be excited about. Uh, unfortunately, one of those is heading back to America with a busted ACL. Uh, poor Riley Baisden. She was definitely she's one actually, of the players I really... Sorry to interrupt, but I think she's actually sticking around for a little while. Oh. Um, I initially well, she won't thought be playing she'd have been anyway. No, no, she, she won't play, but I think she's still sticking around in the team environment, which is obviously really positive to see. Um, I didn't mean to just completely interrupt you there, but I, I just thought I'd mention it because I've um I've seen and heard some things personally. So, yeah. Um, I want you, again, though, I want you to speak to this this more because my vibe is going to be mostly negative. Really? And I want, I, I'll, t- I'll tell you why in a second, but I want you to paint the other picture first. So we can have we can have a bit of a debate and a conversation. That's what I mean. And look, it probably does speak to my bias a little bit where I do look I do kind of look at the positives of each club, and that's why the Jets are so disappointing in my eyes, because it's a very rare time where I don't see too many positives. And it's probably why I'm looking at the Wanderers going, Yeah, this is really good because I'm seeing something there to build on. Whereas Perth, they've always had something there to build on. I think they've just been a little bit unfortunate in certain circumstances that they haven't been able to get the results that they deserve. But you've got Players like Sierra Hinson, who has all the attributes you need to be one of the league's most dangerous strikers. She's a great finisher. She's great with link-up play. She gets her teammates involved. I think she's leading Perth's assists. Would she be? Would you be able? Would you have any more information on that? Um, I think a lot of the attacking statistics in the time since Riley have left have been shed around. But I think because Riley was scoring most of those goals, Sierra and uh, Gabby Coleman were both in in support of that. So Gabby um, so Coleman's one I'm surprised hasn't been given more of an opportunity at the club. I think it's because you've got Sierra there, though. And that's, at which point, that's what I mean. At, the fact which, that at which got... point, just just hold on, you have to question the, that recruitment, right? Because if you're going to bring in a player from from the US, put them in another position. You know, what, you know what I mean? I guess, yeah. But the fact that you've also got that depth where you can put a player like Gabby Coleman on the bench where she would probably walk into uh, Newcastle or Wanderers or Wellington. So... That's what I mean. There's there's quality there that we that can be utilized. Yeah, and there's quality yeah, there that can 100%, be one hundred percent. But I mean, I mean, like you say that, and I don't. Oh, anyone from WA listening to this is going to kill me. But look, look at the back line, for example, like Kim Carroll, Tash Rigby. They're fucking legends. They are. <laughs> they. I'm not. I'm not disrespect. They are fucking legends of this football club. But wouldn't you rather? Someone with a lot of experience out of college or, or you know, the, the women's league in, in the US to come and, and sort of be, be a big, big tall center back for us or, or a wing back, you know, wouldn't that be a lot more of effective well, quality domestically? Team? Why would you go for it? Because it's better than having Gabby Coleman on the bench. Like, do I really? Oh, okay. I, actually, I know what I you mean. Really I thought, so instead to... of having. Yeah, exactly. Like, it. That, okay, now I got you. Now I got you. Yeah, but look on a on a results basis, on a results basis, I just I'm very frustrated because I I and it was probably unfair and it was probably extremely biased, but I thought this team were top four quality, and all they've done is show me that they absolutely are not. And you know the the Western United game, I left it thinking, okay, Western United. Or a bloody machine. Like we should feel, we should feel okay with the fact that a far superior team beat us. But then I, I sat back and I thought, well, no, we were winning that game very clearly. We should have held on for the result. And the and the fact that we actually left that game with zero points at Macedonia Park, like no, that's not acceptable. It shouldn't be acceptable. But the issue is 
We look at the individuals in the team who are all fucking legends. We look at Alex Parkas, who's a really nice guy and comes from some really decent experience. And we go, oh, well, they're all, they're all likable, so who cares? But at the, at the end of the day, if any other team does that, it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable what happens. So case in point there, they can have their downside and they can be worth talking about in a very negative context. Okay, so what is it that they need to do to really improve things and turn things around? The answer to that question is not short and sweet for a start, but you know, like we've already identified one area where they can, where they can adjust. And, you know, it's, it's unfair to a lot of really good players in that team. I understand that. Um, And bizarrely enough, this team has depth and this team are good. And that's why I think they do have a ceiling where they can be a top four side, but it's a two, three and four record. That's seven games that you've failed to win. That like, this is, is not acceptable. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, yeah, it's funny as well because if there's one signing that I think probably has been a bit disappointing, it would be Sarah Langman. Yeah, the goal the goalkeeping department's a funny one because I think Morgan, when when Morgan's played, she's not been bad. And I think Langman's had some really good days, but she's also had some very bad days. And again, if you want to be a top four side, if you want to match the big three in Western United, which I'll admit, and I probably should have said this at the start of the podcast, I'm just going to start calling them the big four now. Uh, and I know that I've I coined the big three term anyway, so big four it is from from this point forward. Um, when you're when you're playing against you know those those elite teams, like you're going to need to be at the top of your game. And I understand Sarah is not always putting in those performances. I understand that. Um, you know I understand that that you know further on with this team you have issues like yeah, Alan Mastro Antonio being a bit of a hothead. Um, you know you you have those types of issues. And again, as individuals. They're not doing anything wrong and they're all really nice and sweet people. And, and there's a good vibe around the team, but that is grounds for a team that wins and is comprehensive. And they're like, uh, you know, that game against the Phoenix, we only won at two nil. And it was like, once we went up two nil, the, the, the team settled a bit. And I feel like if you're at that elite level, you punish them and you win that game three nil, four nil. And they, they, they just, there was, they, they kind of sat back a little bit and, didn't show the desire to just keep going at them and, and playing really well. Um, so, yeah, which I mean, is I, like what I, those big three and big four sides would do. Exactly. No, exactly. That's what the big four do. Um, and you know, I look at I look at Adelaide. Their upsides have been much heavier. Adelaide have even spent a big chunk of the season within the top four themselves. Canberra are probably a bit too inconsistent to match up. Brisbane, you know, probably at about that same level where their highs are good and they rely on the individuals. Perth. On a, on a squad basis, I think are better than Brisbane and Canberra, but you have to mold those three teams together as sort of being in that mold where they, they just, they can't, they're not going to go down because they're not terrible, but they're going to struggle to go up as well. And again, that's not the vibe I got with the team preseason. That's not where I thought they would be at. So, so ultimately, you know, I, I again, a D is probably too harsh, but they are looking more... at like that D plus range where it's like, they're, they're not, an average side they probably are performing under expectation but yeah there is uh, something there that's been likable consistently throughout the season it's not like yeah. they've I just think, i think spurred C, in the last couple of rounds c minus minus and sort of d plus <laughs> kind of somewhere in that they're range, in that right? territory because, they're they're between yeah, exactly. bad and you, average if you give them an outright c i don't think it tells them no, the picture and no, if you I give understand. them a d it's like oh well there are only one or two results from really turning it around and potentially finishing fifth or sixth. So like, uh, and you know, a lot of people preseason probably would have said fifth or sixth is right about where they were. So. Yeah. Look, I was probably looking at him in that kind of like sixth, seventh, eighth range. And that's with a lot of good signings as well. I think there's just a lot of quality around the competition. Yeah, uh, another team, that, another team that's got a lot of quality that you mentioned before, Brisbane Raw, 
who, at least in my opinion, did you did you give your grade or? Yeah, I said D. I said probably like that so D plus range. D plus. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm okay. with you. I'm kind of sitting in that between bad and average range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but, um, okay. Brisbane Raw. I think a lot of people would have predicted them to think they would they would do better than what they what they are now. I'd probably have them in this territory as well. They are kind of on par with your Perth Glories. But one player I want to mention to you, just one question. Do you think Katrina Gorries had the season that we would have expected of it? I think the issue with Brisbane is that elsewhere on the pitch, you're maybe a bit too over-reliant on Katrina Gorry or even someone like Larissa Crummer playing playing up front. Um, Indy Riley, who they brought in from the US, is that correct? Yeah. Those types of players, they, they impact on no, the team. she was team playing in Denmark too. recently. Right. Sorry. Sorry. Yep. Um, but their impact, their impact on the team is so strong and so sort of forthright that I don't, I don't actually know what else to say about the team other than these are the really good players for them. And with the rest of the squad and some of the talent in Queensland, I'm left to sort of think, Gori does exactly what's kind of asked of her. So yeah, individually, she might be able to perform better, but I don't think she's playing for a very good football team. And as a result, that kind of limits that a lot. Like maybe maybe I'm being harsh on the players elsewhere, but I just think that the issue with Brisbane is they're far, far, far too reliant on decent individuals to get them through a game and certainly to get them to win games. That's what I mean. You had a season last uh, last campaign where they did finish six. They had someone really good to build on because once Gori came back into the side, they were one of the most exciting teams to watch in the competition. But you look at their kind of uh, transfer activity over the offseason, they didn't really do enough to kind of say, hey, yep, this is what we've just done this season. Now we're going to take it to another level next season. That's probably a missed opportunity because if they did bring in one or two more quality players like someone of the level of Katrina Gori, you're looking at a side that's going to push for top four, but they just haven't done that. And... It's it's not a reflection of their season because when they're in a game where they can be dominant, they can play some good football, they are a really good side. I think if there's one signing that they've brought in that I do really like is Hensley Hancalf. I think she's probably won some points for them on her own. But the problem is when Brisbane aren't at the races, when they're on a ga- when they're playing a game when they're on the back foot, and the Sydney FC games are probably the best example of this, they can lose by a fair margin. Would you say that Perth and Canberra's ceiling is significantly higher? Oh, 100%. 100%. So I think I think the biggest issue is that they're just completely bang, middle of the road, mediocre, and there's not really anything more or less to say. Yeah, I don't... I'd probably grade um, Brisbane with a C-. minus. I'd put them just that little bit above Perth simply because of their record this season. Yeah. But... Yeah, I think there there are a lot of similarities with them. I think both in terms of player quality, coach quality, and just how their season's gone. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's not that's really much. Right. And you know what? I think that's a hallmark of a good competition where the most, where the least exciting part the part of the table to talk about is probably that mid table section. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. We've and it's funny. Good. It's funny because because up until this very moment, like this week, Brisbane and Adelaide were probably they looked like they were a lot better because they actually spent most of the season sitting four, four kind of four and five. Um, and then the table actually finally evened out. And now Brisbane are where exactly where you'd expect them to be. So we're having this conversation at exactly the right time. Where oh, the 100%. Team seven... And there's even time for it to move because Canberra and Brisbane both have a game in hand on Adelaide, who we will touch on later. 
Yep. Um, I do think they've been quite average. Our next team will be Canberra. We'll move on. The mid-table sides don't need much um, in-depth discussion because there's not much in-depth to talk about with them. But look, Canberra United, It, uh, my opinion's not skewed by their last result. I do think that was just more of a freak thing for them. It was they've travelled out to New Zealand for the first time and Wellington have just really turned up. Besides that result, though, Canberra are... They're a decent football team. They've got a lot of really, really good footballers. They've got some players that are probably going to start knocking on the door for Matilda's selection. They've got uh, Milivojevic, who, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, has already been capped for Serbia, uh, despite, from what I know, actually being Australian. Well, growing up in Australia, at the very least, obviously she'd have that Serbian background. But there's a lot to like about this side, and I think six, the position that they're in now, probably doesn't do them enough justice. Okay, so I've opined the fact that the issue with this team is inconsistency. And that one word, like I could just say yeah, inconsistency, see, and we, we could move on. But that's not good podcasting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, look, the, the issue the issue is, and, and the last two weeks encapsulate everything about this team, Right. They beat the Jets, a team they should be thrashing, 5-1. Did exactly what you expected them. I said to a bunch of people in group chats, yeah, look, this is Canberra. I told you Canberra can be good. Watch them. They're on a run for the top four. And then and then this is this team, right? They go to New Zealand and they lose the goal difference that they just made up thrashing the Jets. <laughs> like, okay. That's what I mean, because look, there's only four teams in this competition that actually have a positive goal difference. If Canberra didn't lose, even if they just lost by three or two, they would still be in that kind of in that bracket. But because of that, they're now just with everyone else. It's like, yeah, we've got these four teams that are doing really well and everyone else is just below par. But the reality is that's one freak result. That there, there is a lot to like about this side still. Yeah. And it does no, my head in that we're talking know, about but, but, after but such a bad result. Another thing, another thing on that is, Cody, freak results happen often with this team. Like It wouldn't surprise me if, I don't know if they've got to play the Wanderers again, but it wouldn't surprise me if the Wanderers came out and whacked them 3-0 or something. Because because that that's the type of team that they are. They just can't they can't get into the groove when they need to, and then they'll have a day where they look really promising and all the incredible talent in there, the Ellie Brushes, the Michelle Hamans, you know, Grace Grace Jale. I mean, they, like you see the ceiling and you're like, yeah, this team's good. I want to see them play. I want to see them play in a semi-final. But they actually play Wanderers twice. Well, there you go. There you go. Got room for it. Watch them. Watch them win one game really comprehensively and lose the other really comprehensively. That's what well. Look, their next two games are Western United and Newcastle Jets, and I think it would be incredibly hilarious if they have Western United play at their own at in Canberra, beat them, and then they go to Newcastle to play the Jets and lose that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, look, and it, tell you, it, I, I, it may not be far fetched. One point I've made with this team though is that I remember back in the day. McKellar Park being this really fun place to play and being a huge fortress, it doesn't have that effect these days. But if they can turn it on against a Western United there, then, you know, that's that's prime real estate. That's the Canberra United that we want to see. And also the reason why, Cody, and I think this just needs to be spoken to more broadly, the reason why we want to see Canberra's upside so much is because exactly the fact that they're Canberra United. We want to see a team from a region that needs more representation from the FA um, and sorry, from, from the APL rather. Um, and, you know, we, we, we want to see a Canberra men's team, right? So we, we have a knack of viewing Brisbane, viewing Perth and going, Oh, whatever they're, they're mediocre. You know, they have some upsides, they have some downsides, but with Canberra, it's the upside, this, the upside that they do this, they do this. 
And, you know, they're, 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 there's a lot of positive momentum there. And we talk about it in that way because we just want to see this club succeed. Everyone wants to see this club succeed. And we, we want to see them playing in both leagues, uh, to be brutally honest. So there's a, there's a lot of bias that comes into it purely from the fact that they're a very likable club. And I think that that's, that's something that's really interesting when you look at sort of the more mediocre side and the inconsistency as well. Well, look, if you look at their run that they've got going on, they've got West United, Newcastle and Sydney next. If they can pick up, say, six, seven points out of those games, I'm not saying they're going to make top four, but it does make that finals race a little bit interesting. If I were to give them a grade, I'd probably go with a C+. It has been a bit of an average season, but I do think they have been exciting when they're an exciting watch. I think that's probably the most important thing to say about them. There's when they're on the front line that they have is brilliant. Yeah, it's a C. It's a C plus because the ceiling is higher. I think that's fair enough. Not even just ceiling. I think even what we've just seen of them. But anyway, I digress. We'll move. I think on. we have differing opinions on that. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, you know what? I I've liked what I've seen. So we've got the same answer with the different working out. It sounds like my whole math um, life at high school. But anyway, we'll move on to Adelaide United, who are the one, one team that are closest to the top four at this stage. Although I don't think that will be going on much longer. They won four games this season, lost five, drawn one. But a lot of those, a lot of those good results came closer to the start of the season. They're actually winless in their last five games. And that is probably a telling sign of how their season's gone. It's kind of like what I said with Newcastle before. They're one of the sides that did start kind of okay. Although on Adelaide side, they started in Adelaide's um, point, actually. They started really well, mm. and things have just kind of turned a really, really poor corner since then. Adelaide, they've scored, what, two goals in their last five games. Before that was two 1-0 wins against Wanderers and Wellington when they were both at their worst. I think that says enough about how Adelaide season's going. That's two of their four wins. So I think I think with this team, right, you had you had an Adelaide that was solid enough to challenge the big four, and you have an Adelaide that is is really like Jets and Wanderers levels of <laughs> of bad with some really yeah they're they're players. a side that can challenge for the top four, but they're also not that good that they're automatically going to beat those bottom sides in a way exactly that's what you're trying exactly to say. with with like all of these teams the one two three players that really make a really good performance um but I think what you have to say with Adelaide is and I'm willing to die on this still it's the balancing act fifth is probably exactly where this team are at because because they're the one team that has challenged the top four. And I could probably see them continuing some good form despite how bad things have gone. Look, I know they, they haven't won a game in five games. Not good. Very, very actually very bad. But, uh, and I think I'm right in saying they're already five points behind Melbourne victory. So the, the table has balanced itself out. And it's exactly what I was saying with Brisbane. If you looked at Brisbane preseason, if you've watched Brisbane through the first couple of games that they've had, you've gone, yeah, I would say that they're right about seventh, but they actually spent most of the season higher than that and it's the same concept with Adelaide I think it I think it will balance itself out they'll play decent football again they'll win football games but they've obviously just had this really poor run of form and um and that has sort of let them sort of wilter away into a position where you know they're um they're they're basically where they probably need to be and it probably says of the earlier performances that they were overperforming at the time as well um, and in this period, they're they're underperforming as well. I, don't, I like I don't think it's a it's a really it's a major sign for concern. I just happen to think that the results had a very funny pattern in which they 
in which they played out. What, what What's your assessment on that? Well, look, if you even look towards what they've got going on in the next couple of games, they have to go to Melbourne twice to play City and Victory. And when you're looking at how the season's going so far, they've dropped points to Jets, Brisbane, and Canberra, and Canberra was at home. They've now got to do two of the t- uh, toughest away days in the dub. You've lost points that you should really be picking up, and now you're banking on gaining points in games where other teams aren't going to pick up points. If they pick up points in those games, 100%. Competition's looking a lot different. And hopefully maybe Fiona Watts finally hitting the back of the net. We'll start seeing floodgates open with her because we all know at her best, she's a fantastic striker. And that's probably one thing that's hindered them, in my opinion, not having a front line that's getting goals on a regular basis. It's very, very surface-level comment to make. I do understand that. But by the crux of it, that's been Adelaide season because defensively, they're not... There's been very, very few occasions this season where they have conceded a lot of goals in one game. Um, Even if you look on the weekend, they lost 2-1 to Melbourne Victory from a winning position. But that came from two moments of Alex Chidiak magic, and teams have done a lot worse against that. But other than that, the only really poor result that you've seen from them is a 3-0 loss against Melbourne City, which probably by their standards was not good at all. But it shows that there is still something to build on at the back there, that they're only usually conceding one or two goals a game at max. And when they're doing well, when they were actually winning games, they were keeping clean sheets more often than not. So yep, if they can rediscover that form, I think if they can... Sorry? That that 3-0, most of that game was 1-0, right? So it was actually City that just had the composure and probably Adelaide that failed to see the game out. But I don't I don't know that that result was like comprehensive from uh, from City as much as it was just the end of that game that sort of saw them out. I don't know if I'm, I'm not saying comprehensive, but I think it's more damaging. That's what I'm trying to say. Because, yeah, look, the reality is a lot of um, games, a lot of the games that Adelaide have lost, they've lost late in the game. Even the Newcastle Jets that I mentioned before, that match, um, it wasn't until the 60th minute that Jets broke through. And it probably does come from Adelaide. You know, they're probably trying to play their balancing out through games, but as the game wears on, because they're the team that's got the expectation on them, got the pressure on them, they're starting to push players forward probably leaves them a bit exposed at the back. Teams have been able to take advantage of that. There's very few teams in this competition as a whole that have poor front lines. The attacking talent is pretty evenly distributed, not evenly distributed, but fairly distributed around the competition. Even the likes of, as I said, Wellington Wanderers, they've got attackers that can be dangerous on the day, even Newcastle Jets. Uh, You spoke about Tara Andrews before. Uh, Sarah Griffith's probably someone you can point to as well. But if I had to give an assessment, I'm probably going with the bang average C. Four wins, five losses, one draw. It it is it's in terms of record, it is a fairly good balancing act. I just think yeah. sorry. I, I just think there is more that probably could come from this team, and I think that's why there is a perception that they are doing a lot worse than what they are. But you know what? Look, they've done enough to keep them in fifth at this stage. That is top half. I don't think that can be discredited. But overall, yeah, it's probably been an average performance from uh, average season from them so far. I think um What's really interesting and what highlights probably more of the mediocre side of this Adelaide team, uh, Cody, they don't draw games often. You know, isn't, that, isn't that kind of funny? Well, that's exciting um, as well. No one wants to see a team that's going to draw seven times in one season, Brisbane Raw men's. Adelaide, Adelaide <laughs> have historically done this, both men's and women's as well, which is which is just yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, that is very, um, before very we, true. Before we get on to the top four, uh, obviously for me, it is a C. It's hard to sort of grade anything worse or anything more. Um, be it pluses, minuses, just see. That's all you can really say say about this team. But yeah, no, course. um, you you touched on a very important stat there. I was wanting to mention it when we reached this point, but you already sort of got ahead of me. It is fitting that 
the table is exactly where you would expect it to be with all these teams in that the top four are the only teams with a plus uh, sort of uh, a positive goal difference. And also, Cody, the top four are the only teams, the big four, as I like to call them now, are the only teams that have won 50% or more of their games. As well They're as also the, the only one. teams that have positive records. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The pos- positive goal difference. Positive goal and, difference, uh, positive and records, percentage. and actually won most of their games. But yeah. I don't think that shows that the rest of the competition isn't as strong as what it should be. I think it's just that those four teams are bloody good. So, look, we're going to start with Melbourne Victory. They are Hashtag normalise big four. Normalise it. They're the big four. Just call them that. And then introduce the top six. So you have the, the big four and then the two teams who are challengers. Who, who oh, do I like well the sound enough. of that. I do like the yeah, sound because of that. Because it's going to be a 12-team league next season as yeah, well. you can't have Mariners. a top four final series after that. It's, it's no. ridiculous. you got to give them a low-hanging fruit. Give them a carrot. Give them something to fight for. But anyway, we are going to talk about that top four now. Melbourne Victory is a starting point. I have mentioned Chidiak and how fucking good she is to watch. She's fantastic. Probably, arguably, the best player in the league. This is an audio podcast, but I'm just going to chef's kiss. Chef's kiss and more. <laughs> <laughs> um, and look, it probably does say a lot about the quality in this competition that a side like Melbourne Victory, who I really thought would be able to nail down top two, are still lingering at the bottom of that top four. And I don't know if they're in danger of dropping out of it. Um, this is a hot take that I mentioned before. I actually think the top four race is done and dusted, but it depends how Canberra goes. Maybe they'll be... well, again, re- respectfully to Adelaide, of course it is. <laughs> yeah, well, respectfully to Canberra too, I reckon they're the ones that are more likely to make a push for it. But the way this season's panning out, I don't see your Melbourne victories, your Sydney FCs, your Melbourne City, especially your Melbourne Cities and Western Uniteds, dropping enough points for no. those teams. Even if they all, even if Canberra and Adelaide went on decent runs towards the end of the season, Canberra and Sydney FC aren't going to drop that many points. Mm-hmm. And bear, bearing in mind... Um, so Western United one loss, Melbourne City two losses, Melbourne Victory two losses, Sydney FC two losses, and within those teams that have only lost the one or two games, being the big four, of course, there's been some slip ups there that won't happen if you play those games ten times out of ten. You know what I mean? So, um, I, I'd I'd say some of these teams are even arguably underperforming to an extent, which just shows how strong they are. Oh, look, we'll because talk about Sydney FC he... in a minute because i got a funny yeah, comment. Yeah. I don't know if you saw Teo Pelizzeri's comment on them, but we'll get to that later. If we're focusing sure. on Melbourne Victory, Victory purely. Yeah, sorry, I did take the conversation away there. But... No, but um, yeah, well, look, what you're talking about underperforming, Melbourne Victory, they've been that good this season, but there is probably still that element where, in a sense, they are underperforming. You're talking about 50% of their games. They have won exactly 50% of their games. It probably does come from a bit of a slower start to the season where they did lose to Western United, they did lose to Sydney FC probably the two games you don't want to start the season at. But they've been undefeated since then. They just had that run of draws that's kind of killed them since. Yeah, I I think maybe it's just a a little bit of my lack of knowledge coming into it a little bit. But I think having seen Western United ceiling, having seen Melbourne City ceiling, having seen Sydney FC sort of with with their individuals and and the way that they kind of punish teams, I think victory finishing fourth, and being a very solid finals team, case in point, literally last season, is around about where this team probably are at. Because because I think uh, their downside is probably the worst of the four. Maybe I'm being too harsh there, but I think there's a reason why their record shaped out the way that it has thus far. I think and if I there's think one that... thing you can point to this season, they have relied on Casey Dumont to pick them up points, especially that Canberra oh, yeah. game comes to mind, that 1-0 mm-hmm. win. 
Casey Dumont single-handedly won in that match. Even the Wanderers game that they played midweek not long ago, Casey Dumont came up massive in that game. I think that does speak to a kind of issue brewing underneath the surface. And that's saying, you're talking about a back line with Jessica Nash, Kayla Morrison, who have been playing well this season, uh, Claudia Bunge, who is a New Zealand international. You're not talking about a back line of scrubs. You're talking about a very, very solid back line, but they still put themselves in positions where they do need to rely on Casey Dumont to come up big for them to make sure they're still in games. Yeah, yeah. And and I think a lot of that comes from the fact that maybe or maybe this is harsh on some of the players, but I don't know that the, the finished product is quite there. And I, I think that the big sign for that is the fact that you don't see them punish teams in the way that you see a Melbourne City or a Western United do it. You don't see that that sort of all-round comprehensive performance. And I'll tell you, um, a big performance that sticks out to mind, and, and obviously, look, I, I follow Perth more than any of the other 10 teams, but when, when the glory played away at Amy Park, that was an occasion where if you're Melbourne victory, you sort of step up, you put in the comprehensive performance, you win the game 1-0, 2-0. Perth played well enough to the point where I think they were actually out shooting the victory 8-1 to one at one point in the game. The game ended up being a draw. Um, not so much because of uh, Casey Dumont's heroics. It was actually more the opposite way. Sarah Langman put in some <laughs> heroics at times. But yeah, I, I mean, that game for me probably summed up round about where I think the team the team have their faults. Because when when you'd ask them to put in that comprehensive performance, you see Melbourne City do it constantly. You've seen it enough from Western United. When the likes of kind of uh, Matty Haley step up for Sydney FC, you're likely to see it from them. I'm not saying that Melbourne Victory don't have big wins because they do, but they just don't have that all-round performance at its very best. And again, respectfully, any side that's outside of this top four, if you're starting a game and they've outshot you, you know, seven times, <laughs> probably not the biggest look on on your ability to be uh, not a champion team, but a premier team. And there is a point of difference in Australian football where we can say that. So, yeah, I think um, I think there's there's probably a bit more of a flaw there in in in, in these in uh, one thing in that victory, than there are we probably teams. need to take in consideration with Melbourne Victory last season. They did have their injury woes. This season, they've had Melina Ayres out for quite some time now as well. That. Having a focal point up front probably isn't going to help anyone in the goal scoring department. I think Nikki but... Madsen's Nikki Madsen's done very well in attack since she's come in. Yeah, but I, look, if I had to pick between the two, though, I'd probably have Ricky Madsen somewhere else in the front line. I'd have Melina as at that as that out and out number nine finisher. I think she's probably one of the best young strikers in Australia okay. at the moment. Okay, I, I get that. Yeah, it's it's look, she's a quality player. I don't think it's a really bad shout. And plus, you want to see it's it's a personal thing. I do like seeing teams back in Australian striker because. You have your visa spots, usually the first thing you go is, oh, yeah, we want this uh, striker that's going to answer all our problems. But that does hinder development of strikers in Australia. And we've seen, especially in the in the women's setup, there's a lot of good strikers. You've got Remy Seams, and she's got to move to WSL because uh, Sydney FC were willing to back her. Melina Ayres, I think she's got a good ceiling as well. I wouldn't be surprised if she does move to Europe soon. She's um, spent some time in Iceland already. So she's definitely got an opportunity to go back over there or somewhere else in Scandinavia, possibly. Um, Sweden probably wouldn't be too bad an option. But there is something there for Melbourne Victory to build on, and I think they're probably the one where, I don't know if they, I'd say their ceiling isn't as high as anyone else's, but they're probably the one playing the furthest away from their ceiling at the moment. I'm not sure, because I think maybe they're not filling up to the the ceiling as much, but I still think that, that sort of the bad days and, and the floor that you see there is probably still a bit deeper than the other three teams. 
And I, I sort of that that's yeah, the no, whole crux of my that. point. So maybe, maybe they aren't fulfilling their potential as much, but I think the potential is much higher with the three other teams. So it's just just my opinion. But they've already won the league from fourth. Why can't they do it again? You know what I mean? So so it's like you. you They're not we, a team underestimate finals. No, 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 exactly. No but but we we live in a world where you're you can be a passably good team and still be the champion team because you show up on the day and you do what's required. Melbourne victory fit that to a T, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that because they're still a very good team and they're still obviously deserving of a title should they win another one. But, you know, there are better teams than them. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, well, look, your yeah. assessment? Um, Oh, the grade. Uh, let's go with the B. B. I'd probably say B, B minus maybe because I think there's, there's another team I'll give a B that I think is just that little bit better. But anyway, we are going to move on to that team in Sydney FC. And I did mention Tay Pelazeri's comment before. Um, The official A-League dub zone it was Teo Pelizzari and Teresa Pelice, I believe, actually gave their mid-season assessments. Um, Teo at least gave everyone a rating out of 10. And while everyone else in the top t- uh, top four were around the 8, 9, 10 mark, I think they actually no, it didn't give any 10 out of 10s, which looked fair enough. But Sydney FC, he gave a 5, saying, considering their status in New South Wales, they should be performing a lot better than what they are. I don't know if I 100% agree with that, I understand, look, they are the one, the team that should be getting the pick of the bunch in the MPL New South Wales. But if you look at them, they've lost two games. One was very unlucky to Adelaide United at the start of the season. West United, only recently they lost two. Every other game they've won, and there's been some comprehensive wins in there as well. So I don't know if I'd be looking at their season's average. Could they be doing better, possibly? But there's still a lot there to like. There's still a lot there to like, and there's still a lot there that they've shown that they are still a team that's going to push for the minor premiership. So, firstly, I watched that on Dub Zone, and I have to admit, I was gripped. Like that was that was you all this talk about Paramount Plus. That's 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 the 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 I am fucking gripped to this television that Paramount Plus want everyone watching. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I missed an episode. Unfortunately, I missed the last couple episodes of Dub Zone. I'm spewing. Oh mate, the clip that they they just uploaded the the clip of it of of the whole argument. On, oh, I watched um, the argument. That was about it. Yeah, yeah. Because the actual episode or live. Yeah. No, I know, but it was it was amazing, and I think you know you know where that comes from. That comes from the staunch NPL commentator in Teo Palazzari, where he's always putting development at the forefront of his mind. But the one thing that he said, and look, it's true, all the talent in Sydney, because the Wanderers are such a basket case, all the talent in Sydney wants to play for Sydney FC. So I mean, he's, he's right, he's really, he's right. <laughs> but at the same time, how much does that affect the day to day of a league season like this? And my answer would probably be, oh, well, it's minimal, right? So you you have to commend this team for the way that they perform and the fact that, in my humble opinion, they have a much higher ceiling than Melbourne Victory. And they have individuals like Sarah Hunter. She captained that team that went to Costa Rica that we reference every two seconds, you know? She's she's not that really big presence in this team because they're such a fucking good football team. You know what I mean? Um, Courtney Vine is is you know she's she's going to be playing in the the women's super league in England at, at some point. I imagine she's got an incredibly high ceiling. Maddie Haley does exactly what you would want of a foreign player. Uh, you know Nash Tobin at the back. She's a, she's a total rock and she's someone that really encapsulates what we love about the dub in in, in every way. I mean, I really like this team. And it's hard to dislike this team. But if you want Sydney FC being Sydney FC, if you want to set that bar, the, the sorry, I'm talking. If you want to set that bar really, really high, if you want Sydney FC to be that bling FC, if you want them to be that team where they don't take 
excuses and they're, and they're this really big organization, then yeah, I mean, they probably should be winning this league at a canter. You know, we, we don't know if Western, well, respectfully so, we don't know how much of Western United is just them executing everything completely right or whether it's a bit of a freakish season. We don't know if Melbourne City are going to continue to be the dominant force in, in the dub for years to come. And Sydney FC should probably be a bit more like Melbourne City in that respect, but they're yet to do it. And they and also, total contrast to Melbourne victory, and I'm not saying this because of what happened in the grand final. I think I'm just making a broader point. When it comes to the occasion, the one game where you need to step up, I think that's somewhere where Sydney lose their heads a bit because they're so used to just being that premier side and they're so used to doing what's required of them. They don't step up as much in, in grand finals. Um, and again, I'm not just saying that because of last season. I just think more broadly... Well, look, there's uh, been know, a couple major games. Like you look at Western United this season, that was a game that that was... They lost. They win that game. They're in yeah. really good stead to possibly push on that minor premiership. They lost. I don't understand where you come from there. I was going to track back to Teo Pelzo's argument for two seconds because you did back up a point that he made where Sydney FC should be getting the bulk of the talent out of the MPL uh, women's in New South Wales. If you look at some of the players that have come out of there, and I'll ask you where they're playing. Um, Rihanna Polisina, Melbourne City. Uh, Daniela Galich, Melbourne City. Uh, Maya Markovsky, she was playing the MPL New South Wales. She's gone to Melbourne Victory. They're not just competing with the um, other New South Wales-based teams. They're competing with the Melbourne sides too for players. And that's all the more reason for Taylor to give them a five, I guess. You know, you should be retaining these players. No, no, no. no, no, no. I, I think that there's merit to it though, right? Like, like, why why aren't you Sky Blue through and through? Well, you can't get everyone. Look, if anything, it's a discredit to Wanderers and Jets that these players would rather... Okay, Maya was obviously grown up in Melbourne, but Daniela yeah. Gallich, Rana Polisina, who I mentioned before, they've signed from Melbourne City. Why didn't they go to Wanderers? Why didn't they go to Newcastle Jets? Sydney FC already have a stacked side, and those players probably aren't going to make much improvement to that team, but the, the fact is, they can't take everyone in, MP, in the MPL New South Wales, but they still get You're some right. of, if not the best talent that's in there still. Yeah, 100%. And that's, I think that's a fair point. But look... On, on the actual season itself... Yeah. Um, B plus? I'd say B. Okay. It's 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 fine margins. It's fine margins. I think, look, they they could have done... A, they could be doing a little bit better. They are meant to be this all-encompassing, all-conquering A-League women's side, which mm-hmm. is why I do think that they are performing below their expectation. But would I call them average? No, because when they are playing well, they, th- they still have an ability to thump teams. And... Uh, Brisbane Raw have been the, uh, how do you say it, on the wrong end of those games in particular. Because if I look at Sydney FC's results quickly, their biggest wins this season have come against the Brisbane Raw. And Newcastle Jets, where they looked like they were going to steamroll a mate on 9-0, but then Newcastle Jets decided, hey, look, we'll score a couple of goals too while we're getting thumped. I remember watching that on Like I said, they, they score these goals while they've already lost matches. And it's probably coming from they're taking advantage of teams just have a knack for score it quickly against the Jets because they don't start games off very well. Then they take the foot of the pedal and Jets just take advantage there. Yeah, no, I, I remember watching, so it was 4-2 it finished, and I remember yeah. watching that game on Dub Zone and unironically with a straight face being like, that's it, it's 10-0. It's They've done it. They're, they're going to they're nah, actually... I, was, I had a feeling it was slowed down. It was one of the games you could tell it was going to slow down, I think. Yeah, no, I, I think it was more than obvious in retrospect, but I got so ahead of myself, hey. Um, and that's just the effect that this team has. Oh, everyone because, wants to see some history in front of you, don't you? Hey, everyone wants to see history happening in front of you. Yeah, but we've already had a game in the in the double ten goals, in it. You know that, right? Yeah, I, I know. But like, if you're going to see it again, that's still history. Yeah. Maybe if they scored more, they scored yeah. three goals in ten minutes. They keep that going. They're winning what 20, 30 nil or some shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so that effect, yeah. 
Yeah, but anyway, look, we'll move on. Melbourne City, we've only got two more teams to talk about. If you're still with us, thank you for hanging in. Melbourne City, they're a side. I actually didn't think they'd do that good this season. I was expecting them to kind of scrape into the top four, the way Melbourne Victory kind of is in a way. But they've had some real, I wouldn't say they've had some real gems. I think this would be maybe gem in particular, talking about um Daniela Gallich. But everyone else has just kind of continued on how they were playing last season, where they were able to put so much pressure on Sydney FC. They've just managed to keep that going, and they still look like this very, very good side. Um, you know, someone I think is is uh, quite crucial in this is uh, is Carly uh, Rostbacken. Um, I think her her ceiling has been pretty high. She's obviously had a lot of Matilda's experience in the past, and she plays a very, very vital vital role out of midfield to be that transition to you know some someone that's experienced at the back like Naomi Chinema someone who's uh, guaranteed to get you a lot of goals in uh, in Hannah Wilkinson, a playmaker and a skilled bowler, certified bowler like Daniela Gallich. You need, you, there's one piece missing there that you're going to need and it's sort of coming in that, in that, in that transition. Um, and that, that's what Carly does. So I think that if you're to look at sort of each position on the pitch, um, sort of break it down, who does what role and who's playing it best, I would argue that, that Carly's a big, really big underrated cog in the wheel for this side. Um, and I don't know why I felt the need to mention that. No, <laughs> it's a fair point because, about... honestly, when she started playing in the midfield, I was actually a little bit surprised. I didn't realize she had that up her sleeve. But, yeah, she's yeah. slotted in that area really well. And, look, when she first signed from Melbourne City, because they had so much talent at the back, it was a little bit surprising. I thought, you know, it's kind of a needless signing. They've already got enough cover there. But they've changed their formation to need those three centre-backs. They've... Um, allowed players like Caitlin Torpy to be able to push into more advanced roles, even if it's just as a wing-back. You want to talk about underrated players. How good has Caitlin Torpy been over the last couple of seasons? I feel like we don't... No one talks about her enough. Um. So so my introduction to Caitlin Torpy came through Teo Palantieri, um, acting like it was an AFL game. Um, she scored a goal, one of the first Dubzone episodes. She scored a goal from long range, and Teo instinctively said it's a talk from outside 50, which if you, if you know your yeah. AFL terminologies, that's like one of the greatest things you could see in a, in a footy match, right? So Look, I don't know I was, AFL terminology. No, 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 I, I know, I know. <laughs> but <laughs> the staunch Western Australian in me could not stop laughing, and I was like, yeah, this girl's pretty talented. Um, so I, I think, again, because to the four players that I mentioned, right, they all play their roles really well, and Caitlin Torpy is someone that's another cog in the wheel that get is underrated because she's in su- such a stacked team. But when when she steps up and when it's required of her, she she can she can put in a really really solid performance and be a really really reliable player for this team. Absolutely. Um, but Cody, what what does it say so much about Melbourne City's dominance and how beautiful of a football team to to, to watch that they are? That every other team we've gone okay, big picture, big picture, big picture, and here with Melbourne City we're breaking down the 11 and we're talking about the players on the pitch because yet, we're, yet we're looking at the, the big side. picture still because they are the big picture. They, they, yeah, they they're, are. they're a good team. That's playing as well as what they can be. Maybe hmm. besides that one Wanderers game. But other than that, there's not much that you can fault in this side. They've no, had a couple no. slip ups, but and, and just like on that Wanderers game, freak results are, are going to happen. No Lester one dominated that game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. no one, no one left the game going, Oh, Melbourne city. What a disastrous result. Everyone left the game going, this is freaking awesome. We've just seen the Wanderers win a football match against Melbourne City in the dub. No one, no one, no one cared. No one was like, oh, Melbourne City D-Day, you know, like, <laughs> because that would have been, that would have been harsh. Look, freak, freak results happen in football. 
And the fact of the matter is, this team are as dominant as their men's side. What does it say about this competition that they're not running away with the title? No, you that's know what I mean. Me. Because on like paper, just... it's a side that, okay, yeah, maybe at the start of the season, I wouldn't have said that they could. But you look at the side they have on paper, and you look at how they've improved and progressed since. And I think one person we've got to give credit to there is Dario Vitasic. His first, yeah. um, go at the his first go in the hot seat of any this club. Is, this is what the and city he, it's been seamless from his dad. Yeah, well, this is what the city football group do though. They they take people who know the system well enough. Dario's an absolute journeyman, played a bit with the Socceroos, knows the A-League incredibly well. They've taken him and said, we are going to develop you into a really solid manager. You're going to have your dad right by your side. And when the moment comes, Patrick Kisnorbo off to Troyes, and and Dario was able to mould into that and uh, and show his worth. And I, I think that he has a really high ceiling as a result of that. So, yeah, full, full credit to them. But this is what they do. Like, it's, 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 it's scary to say this, but we expect it. We expect it because it's 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 the reason why the city football group invested in this team, and and they just they they're always fun to watch. And I don't like are they histor- you want to talk really really big picture like like sort of ten years down the track is this team ever going to be dethroned in women's football in terms of always being guaranteed? A, a, well, look, it's been a while getting... since they've been in the big dance. To be fair, so hopefully that yeah it'll be good yeah, if that changes the season. That's more just the lottery of finals and sides yeah. like Melbourne Victory stepping up on the day, right? So. I mean, I think, yeah, well, okay, I, I should probably calm down a little bit, but what I'm saying is the City Football Group with their investment have gotten to the point where the men's and women's team are at a point where, like, they're just what's going to stop them? They're like, always going to be in that upper echelon of Australian football. Yeah, and, and it's point. actually gotten to the point where the salary cap argument might be just completely taken out of the water within Australian football, such as the City Football Group's dominance on a capped league. I'd be you know very I mean? intrigued so, to see what happens to the Melbourne City's program if the salary cap is ever abolished because abolished. they've got the funds to put <laughs> really a real super team it, in hey, terms yeah. of... And, and, that, and also, sort of... just think about it. Sorry, sorry, Cody. That has a, that has a, a bigger impact on the AFC as well. Like, the AFC That's are probably about sitting to say, there. Actually. Yeah. Because uh, the City Football Group, they're not going to look at it going, we, they've already got a side that's dominating Australian football. Their next step will be, okay, we can spend the money we want. Let's take over Asia. And... Think about it as much if they're able to uh, pay players in the position where they can. Okay, um, how do I say it? Matching the Middle East is obviously going to be a near impossible task, and I'm talking about more the men's here because yeah, um, the, but from the, the women's women, perspective, they... but, but hold on, from the women's perspective, could we have the women's Super League of the Southern Hemisphere? Yeah, we would. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, we would. We would. We Not would. We that, would have if we if we League. are able to pay plays a respectable wedge compared to what they can get in other countries. You've also got to take into into consideration, and this might be my bias talking, but there is no better place in the world to live than Australia. Yeah, I know what you mean. Why? <laughs> think about it. Think about it. Why? And, and again, this is more of a men's thing than it is a woman's thing. Um, but why is it that so many players come here and stay to the point that they become Australian citizens? Why did Bruno? That's Fornaboli not just a men's thing. You look at Kayla Morrison. You look at um, Kayla Morrison. Zimmerman. Yeah. They're they're constantly here. Yeah, this is where they. This is where people want to be. And I think it's probably more in the women's game as well because they're able to, you know, obviously it's a more speaking to the fact that it's not fully professional, but they're able to enjoy their lifestyle a little bit more. Some but of the fact is, we're a fucking good out. country to live in. Yeah, some of them are even able to branch out into other sports still. The yeah, but we don't want them doing that. We, we don't, we don't, no, no, no. We're not, we're not, but the point, the point is there that I'm making. Sarah, Sarah Rowe didn't say, oh, you know, I, I'm going to be this all encompassing um, you know, superstar sports player across many codes. But she's looked at the fact that, okay, I play Gaelic football. 
I can I can make money playing Australian football and and her experience with Ireland and the fact that Ireland are playing against the Matildas, it's all blended into her and Australia's been the destination for her to come for her career, let, let alone playing for freaking, you know, Liverpool or Chelsea in the Women's Super League now. She hasn't actually been playing football at a high level for a very long time now. She's been more of an AFL or a Gaelic footballer. But, but I mean, the point is, we're just as much the place where you make your career as a female sportsman as England or the US. So so if a salary cap was abolished and Melbourne City did take over, and how did a mid-season review spawn into this fundamental sort of <laughs> yeah, outlook on the whole situation? <laughs> but like, yeah, well, yeah we, we should, we should, but... Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, this this team, this team, um, they don't have a floor. They only have a ceiling, and they're staying up there for a very long time to come. And look, I wouldn't be surprised if they're able to push on West United in that back half of the season. Who we are going to talk about now? If I'm giving them an assessment, of Melbourne City, I'd probably say A, maybe bordering on A minus A. They've been very, very good this season. They haven't been perfect, but there's not much more you can ask of them either. I don't think. Yeah, we, we have to give these top two teams um, an, an A, absolutely. And speaking um, so, of the top two, Western United, who have been near perfect besides one slip up against the Wanderers, but just about any situation that you can put them in, there's, there's been games where they've been completely dominant. There's been games where it's kind of hung in the balance and they've been able to shine through. Um, there's been games where they've looked down and out. Um, sorry to bring up uh, some poor past memories, Matt, but I, the one that comes into mind is the Perth game. There's not been a situation this season besides going to Western Sydney that they haven't been able to handle. And for a side with so much inexperience at an A-League level where there's only really been maybe two or three players that have actually played at this level and then only an extra couple that have played at a high level elsewhere, the fact that they have been able to be so dominant and so good is a testament to, one, Mark Tocasso and the system that he's been able to um, build and the culture of the club overall as well. Yeah. Um, so again, I, I sort of, if, if you go back to when this program first started, the one thing that I said off the bat was I I didn't know what to expect. And if anything, I was sort of erring on the side of caution with this team simply because I knew for years prior that they had sort of molded their team around Calder United in the, in the MPL. Um, for me, like I'm going to sit here and go like less Leicester City territory, like that's how much it was a surprise to me. But that's just because I'm I'm a pretty stupid person and I I, I had not done my due due diligence and my and my research, right? So I've been watching the dub for uh, nine on ten weeks now, and uh, and Cody, not only have I learned my lesson to not be surprised by this team, I have learned to embrace them as uh, my big three is now officially a big four, and rightfully rightfully so. This team do everything that's expected of them. And sure, the Perth game was worth talking about from the perspective of how glory let it slip away and how they should have actually hung on and won the game. But let's just talk about the old adage, champion sides play bad and find a way to win. What did Western United do that afternoon at Macedonia Park? They They didn't play the most beautiful football, but they sure as hell found a way to win. And Chloe Lagazzo did that ridiculous catwalk celebration in front of us and I'm going to get PTSD. But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, again, like, probably one of the most annoying celebrations I've ever seen a footballer do ever. At least but, from an opposition know. perspective. <laughs> yeah. I was watching that as a neutral. I didn't give a shit. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, I understand why you're pissed about it, but I, I really couldn't have given a shit. But look, the only question that I have for this Western United side is, can they keep this going without Jess McDonald? 
My head says possibly not. My gut says they're going to find a way. And yeah. that comes to the old adage of they're a champion team and they'll just find a way. Find You've a also way. got to, if I'm being completely honest, Hannah Keane's probably been the more dangerous player in that side. Jess McDonald has probably just been a little bit of experience and has probably been able to pop up in those situations where they've just needed her to. But other than that, I don't see this side faltering too much. I'm not saying they're out and out going to win the minor premiership. I think Melbourne City are going to put up a very, very strong fight. And I wouldn't be surprised if they do slip up when faced with that challenge. But I also wouldn't be surprised if they go on to win the thing. I wouldn't be surprised if they will. They'll drop points from here to the end of the season. But they're definitely in with a good shout. I mean, they're coming first. You can't say they're not going to win the league from here. But yeah, they're definitely in a good shout to keep this going. And it'll be interesting to see how they go in finals. Because they're definitely not losing that spot from here. No, no, exactly. Uh, the top four are all but locked in. Does Jess McDonald make it a big three, or will her departure make it a big three again? No, no. Look, there's well, enough. I think there's it's enough. Not individual... West United side are pretty settled. Yeah, they are. They, they are. Um, and again, even if it falls apart to the point where they're dropping dropping points, they're still probably playing finals football. So, but no, I think I think individually, uh, the way that the team has been sort of set up, the way that they're playing, the base that they have at Caroline Springs, which for Western United is an absolute godsend, and it's just so awesome to see. I mean, everything about this team is just good and fun and exciting, and it's it's what you want. So and likable. Yeah, the individuals, the individuals in the team are likable as well. The um the A League's all access gave a really good vibe to the team culture as well for uh, for for Chloe and and obviously a lot of others in the team. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think I think it's still fair to say that it's not again to my old naive self. It's not like Leicester City levels of a surprise because it's not it's not Calder United plus Marquis playing. It's a well look. I said in the past, team. anyone outside of Victoria probably would have seen this coming. Yeah. Yes, but let me let me just finish my point. <laughs> Sorry. I still think no, no. I'll talk about something. I just I, that was kind of rude. <laughs> but uh, um, what I was going to say was, it's still a surprise the fact that they're one loss from nine, right? Like it still is quite a surprise. Yeah, of course, this, of course. That this to be going this they're, good as well. They're a, they're a good solid side, and we all fundamentally understand that about them. But for them to have been as dominant as they have for them to grind results when it's asked of them, for the individuals to step up, you know, just, and even, even the management, the management um, producing in the way that it did as well, that the team have just been executed in the best way possible. And they have something that their men's department doesn't have in a really good, solid base to be playing out of and a really nice vibing home ground. So yeah. What else, what else can you say? But, um, and to borrow a line from when I was talking about the Mariners men's, uh, squad, it's an A plus 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 because they've done just about everything, and and maybe there's still things to work on, and maybe there's still flaws. Of course they are. Nobody and nothing in life is perfect, but this team, this team, they they do what's required of them in every way. And and honestly, I hope they win the minor premiership because it would it would be a good story, even if not an incredible shock. Yeah, look, I don't think there's much I can disagree with you there. I'd be going for that A-plus as well. They've been absolutely fantastic. They get the results. Plus, they look plus, good plus, to watch. It's There's there's not much else you can ask of them. It's just a matter of, The only thing you can ask of them is, can this keep going? And I think we've kind of come to the consensus that it most likely will, even without Jess McDonald. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, what, what do you think the absence does in terms of 
their ability to be more of an attacking threat? Because, I mean, they'll still close teams out, I think. Will they be scoring a bit less? Will, will the games be a bit a bit less impactful in that way? I mean, where do you think? Look, I'd probably put more reliance on Hannah Keane, but you're probably, the next person to come in will probably be Carly Johnson, and she's a fantastic player as well. She's another one that was uh, part of that under-20s Women's World Cup side. You're, there's players there that'll cover, even if it's not as experienced, even if they're not as good as Jess McDonald. They'll be able to come in and do that job, and I think the biggest thing with them is that it is just such a well-oiled system that you can bring someone else in. They've probably been preparing for it in reality, let's be honest. But there's a system there that they can replace Jess McDonald with someone else and have everything still running smoothly, I reckon. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I I would like to say I know bits and pieces about the talent coming out of Victoria, but that would just be, it'd be a lie. So I'm (laughs) going to have to trust your judgment on that one. Look, I'm all, I'm not talking about it coming out of Victoria. I'm just more talking about that team itself. Because you've even got Tyler J. Blaine that you can push forward if you needed to. That's true. Yeah, yeah. There's quality um, there. Anyway, look, I think we are going to have to wrap it up there. We've been going well longer than our standards as well. Usually these podcasts are 30 to 40 minutes. The, this the is, mid-season review. The mid-season they're review. They're never going to be short. No, you've just got to expect it. It comes to the yeah, show. Look, you know what? If you're, if you're still listening, we do really appreciate it. Uh, make sure you're following us on all social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, if you're into the business type, and also TikTok. We're on TikTok. Um, that is mainly me personally, and you'll also get a few extra podcast clips as well. But anyway, the rest of us aren't TikTokers, that has been... Why. Sorry? The rest of us aren't TikTokers, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> why not, Matt? I want to see you dancing on it, I reckon. <laughs> you're a dancer? No. Um... Yeah, that was pretty blunt. Listen, I, I went to the clubs the other night, and you got about you got about five seconds out of me, and that was it. So, I've completely ruined your outro. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mind a bit of a dance for at a club. That's if I actually bother to rock up to one. I, I think those days are behind me. But anyway, this has been front page Dubs mid season review. I'm Katie Ajita. I've been joined by Matt Olson. Matt, you got any parting words? Keep watching the dub. Keep watching the dub. It's such a beautiful competition, the greatest competition on earth, alongside. The A-League men's. That has been Front Page Dub. Hope you've all enjoyed it and we'll be seeing you very soon. <laughs>